Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Somebody's got complete black on covering now. That, that threw you, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> on tonight's show, we look at Michelle Yeoh's Royal Warriors. But before we get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, what have you been watching since the last episode? Because we, I want to say we had a festive break, but we didn't. So I'll scratch that. But uh, no, what have you been watching? <laughs> um, okay, I've got a couple of things which aren't to do with Asian cinema. But I think we've now got to the point where we do do a bit of that, don't we? And then I've got a Asian cinema thing. So Marcus, this the third one's for you. Uh, I think, therefore, you know what film I've watched. Um, okay, so the first thing I caught was, I don't even know if it's really a movie, but it's down as a movie. Um, it's just a bit of comfort food. Do you remember the show Monk? Yes, I do um, Tony, Tony, Well, for some reason, they've just done, a like, a 10 years after it finished, a, a, a TV movie. I think it was probably to advertise Paramount Plus or something. Okay. Um, is this where this has shown get... up? So I keep seeing people who have been watching it, but I don't know where they're watching it. So yeah, I think I I, <clears throat> I didn't watch it in Paramount right, okay. Plus, but you don't don't ask any questions. I won't tell you any lies. But I always used to love Monk, and Monk sort of treads this really interesting line where basically it's about somebody with incredible OCD and PTSD, and and I've always wondered why it managed to survive getting cancelled. But actually, it's because it does it in a really quite clever and smart way. And obviously, Adrian is the hero, the, 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 the detective hero. But it's been off the air. The, the, the story was, you know, the, the, there was an ongoing story throughout the eight or nine seasons about him trying to work out who killed his wife. And that was solved. And for some reason, it's come back. And I caught the movie. And actually, it was really, really lovely. It was like a, like a comfort blanket. I, I like crime but sort of quirky crime shows or do you know what I mean things like um elementary or house even though that's not a crime show do you know what I mean with a strong central character and there's a there's a there's a mystery or movie that, I even like things like murder she wrote right I love like that a puzzle to solve but I don't I don't really try and solve the puzzle but I enjoy the the, the characters and the fact that there's okay Seems... Um, I, I guess I guess it's because I'm a Columbo boy. Heart, okay, so right? you like that's, a that's the root you like a flawed genius. Exactly, I like. I've always liked it. Anyway, and this could have been shit, but actually, it's really quite good if you like Monk. Apart from, there's a running theme in it that basically Adrian's given up. Well, firstly, it's a hilarious stuff because obviously it's now post COVID. 
And it's in a world where everyone is washing their hands with sterilizer and, and watching who they're breathing on. And so it's quite amusing to see that all monks, a lot of monks' idiosyncrasies from those earlier shows are now everyday behavior. That, I think that's quite, that's, that, that's probably why they brought it back. That's the, that's the joke. But there's this whole line about suicide all the way through it, where he's basically plotting to kill himself. And obviously, I don't want to spoil it. He doesn't. Um, but it's just like this really weird darkness to it. It's not a movie, anyway. It's it's an, it's an extended episode of the TV show. I thought it was really nice. Um, that's just there as a little... If anyone else is a Monk fan, I would recommend it. Um, the other thing I watched was made use of Mamubi streaming um, <laughs> thing this month. Um, and watched... Um, it's a British film. I think it's a British film. I'm certain it's a British film. Um by uh, female director Molly um, Manning-Walker called How to Have Sex, um, which isn't an instruction guide. It's the story of... I think this is a particularly British story about three young girls going on their first holiday to... I can't remember where they're going, like to a Spanish island. Yeah, it's island like Magaluf, isn't it? It's something like that. I can't remember where it is. It doesn't matter. And they're 16 and they go off and they... And it's drink and it's drugs and one of them wants to lose their virginity. And I never did any of that as a 16, 17 year old. I don't know if you did, mate. But Oh, yeah, I was just a regular on the 1830s scene. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> beaver, a Spaniard, me, wasn't it? Yeah. But, you know, my... my my one of my daughters did and it is kind of this rite of passage that people do i guess in america the same thing would be going to cancun for summer break or um in australia that's what the the the, they go to bali you know it's it's they're on the cusp of adulthood they finish their in in british sense they're sort of 16 or the gcse exams it's before they go off and leave home it's their first real holiday from and there is a there is a much darker side to this story but the first half of it does give you um, i always find films that are trying to display things like nightclubs and nights out really struggle to do it properly um i mean there's not really been a good clubbing movie since human traffic really if you think about it um, you know even things like um, we watched enter the void recently which had elements of that but it was (laughs) That was the artifice, like, like trying to film something inside a disco, really, wasn't it? it? Yeah, it, it was. But I just, I, I always remember the one, the, the worst thing I remember is, is um, I can't remember. Are you the person that hasn't seen Basic Instinct? Yeah, I've never seen Basic Instinct. Okay, so Basic Instinct has a scene where Mike Michael Douglas goes to a nightclub. And he wears like a skin tight pullover. And obviously Michael Douglas was a bit older, you know, he he's always skewed a bit older than he is. And he just looks so uncomfortable, it just looks so unfun. The whole night thing. This this gets it right. This feels like you're a young person, often a Spanish or Greek island, um, and it just does it really well. There is a dark story to it. Um, you'll never let your children go to one of these islands again um it's a very human drama it was really really good i really enjoyed it um wasn't quite the film i thought it was gonna be but really good really well played um although all the actresses are 25 and are pretending to be 16 but actually they pull it off which is interesting um so that was really good so that was movie right so they're the two good movies for the month (laughs) for the week for the bye week isn't it um so marcus Listen up, mate. 
Film number four in my Joseph Crow <laughs> collection. And I am now determined to do all eight of them, by the way. So we've got this for the next four months. The Return of the 18 Bronze Men. Now, if you remember, the first two movies were lacking in Shaolin and kids. But the third movie did have bronze men in it. Although it had a really weird third act, which didn't seem to it. Return of the 18 Bronze Men is not a sequel. It has the same cast, albeit in different roles. Yeah. And it does have 18 bronze men in it again. Oh, well, whether there's actually 18, again, I didn't count. But it is one of the strangely structured movies I've ever come across. So Carter Wong again is this time. I'm going to call him the lead. And he plays the fourth son of the Qing Dynasty Emperor or a Qing Dynasty Emperor, who at the beginning of the movie gets one of his assistants to amend his father's will because the 14th son was the one who's been nominated to be the next emperor, but apparently a couple of swishes of the old paintbrush and 14 becomes four very easily. A trick which I think you can only do in Chinese, you wouldn't actually be doing. You'd have to remove something in any other letter but anyway it doesn't matter and then frames his young brother for basically sets up that the guy reading the will is is as corrupt as him and um sends him out to be executed although that is commuted eventually to uh being sent to court to be tried so at least he's going to be murdered with a trial so this guy is a bad deal right he's also the hero of our movie <laughs> He's the main protagonist. I think that's the correct word. Then, in a blink and you'll miss it segue to the fact we're going to a flashback. (laughs) Honestly, I didn't realise it was a flashback until I read other reviews of it and had to go back and check. But don't worry, that's quite a common criticism of this movie. He that you go back to a top. Oh, he has a little fight with um. Oh, what's her name? She's in all these movies. Um, Polly, Polly, Polly. Um, crew. Oh, is she not listed as one of the main characters? I can't remember the lady's name, but she's rich. She's quite fun. She's been in all Jessica Crow's movies, so she's Polly. I can't remember her her her, her Chinese name, but don't worry, she's good. Has a little fight with her in a tavern because that always happens. I think if you remember in. In Bronze Men, she she was um she was meant to be a man for a portion of it, and then it turned out she was the long lost um, arranged marriage of the hero. So she turns up. Then we suddenly go, and he's back in the past, and he 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 catches the eye of a young lady. Um, I think I think there's some kind of robbery that he foils or something like that, and. He gets pretty obsessed with her. Gets really fucking jealous when he sees another man talking to her. Challenges the man to a fight. By the way, it's her brother. (laughs) Um, Her brother is a a member of the Shaolin Temple. And basically hands him his arse. And he goes, "Mm, I need to be as good as him. And then goes off and joins the Shaolin Temple. Which then sort of links us up with the first movie. Where we spend a good... 30, 40 minutes of him constantly trying to pass the trials of the 18 bronze men, which is a bit better done here. Now, for me, this was the flaw of the first movie, constant repetitive battles 
begin to bore the shit out of me. However, I do realise there are people who adore that shit. So your mileage might vary. But for 40 fucking minutes, <laughs> he fights men either painted gold or wearing sort of a tight-fitting gold armour. By the way, bronze isn't gold. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's just a that's just a thing that was begun to bother me. Then we flash back to the modern day, and Polly turns up again, announces that actually she's the daughter of some general that he's offed. They have a little fight, and then she runs away. And then news comes in that the Shaolin Temple and some other people are rising up against him. But the good news is we've invented the flying guillotine and we can probably kill them all from 100 yards. And then the film ends. Okay. Just dead. Now, I believe that it is a prequel or is 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 the story is finished off in a film called Burning Something or Other. I don't know because it's not in the fucking box set. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you like budget action movies with a bit of Waifu and a bit of Carter Wong and a bit of Polly. It's fine. If you like your movies to have a beginning, a middle and an end and utterly understand what's going on structurally, I'd give it a miss. Okay. And I think this has been my problem with all four of the Joseph Quo movies I've watched so far is that he's got pretty good people in it. The stories seem okay. The action seems okay. Um, it's just he's fucking terrible at telling a story. It's often the case that, with these uh, sort of level of kung fu movies. They're not so focused on the actual storytelling element. They're more focused on the you know the action element, and that's mm. where you find that the real takeaways are for the really weird moments. And this is when you get into like you know the kung fu weird films such as like Shaolin Drunkard. Um, mm. or for ourselves, things like the Battle Wizard. Yeah, but I think the Battle Wizard, ha- I do feel it still had a structure and a story, and, and it had the weird shit as well. This thing, e- even I've talked about the 18 Bronze Men, they're not that weird. Um, and and the weirdnesses ebbed away due to the repetitive nature of their use. And I get what they're trying to do. There's just, There's some trials. But it's just... It's just who the lead character is, the way the story is structured, the way things just flap in. And it makes you really appreciate, I think I said this last time, just how good the Shaw Brothers films are, just how good some of those Golden Harvest films are. Because they're just, I I know they were churned out week by week. But I think the formula that a lot of them were written by gave them the structure. And a lot of it's... St- Anyways, it's weird. I'm halfway through. I've done basically the first collection. Um, I've not got another four to go. I think Marcus said there is a better one coming up. We shall see. But I am fine. And they're only an hour and a half long, so it's not as if they're terribly painful. I feel... Please, people, if you're listening, tell me I'm wrong. I'll, I'll be happy to be told I'm wrong. Because you know, I'm a bit, a bit because you obviously haven't seen them. I'm not inspiring you to watch them. <laughs> you know, I'm probably going to still stumble across them at some point because I'm the sort of person who hangs around like uh, Wu Tang Presents <laughs> on YouTube, which is the uh, like the public domain cinema of 
kung fu movies. Yeah. I mean, Eureka have done a really nice job, and it's really nice. They've done it a bit like they did their um, a Gamera box set. So there was a, there was an eight disc, there was an eight film set, and they split it into two four film sets, which I think is a nice way of doing it. So if you are like the Gamera set was especially well done because it separates off the the two eras, and you can um, ignore the more childish movies and concentrate on the uh, the sort of the, that that reboot series which we've looked at before. Anyway, maybe the second set of discs will be better. We've got another four months of this, mate, but I will try and watch other things as well. So <laughs> stop the here's Stephen moaning about this one box set. <laughs> Maybe again, it's my what about yourself? Um, yeah, what about yourself? For myself, uh, kicking things off, we have a recommendation for yourself, and that was to watch Polite Society, which I did. Um, this is directed by Nida Manzor, and I don't think we touched upon this last time, so I'm not going to go too much in the plot, because as we said, you went over it pretty thoroughly on the last episode. But um, she's really interesting as a director, because previously she did the series We Are Lady Parts, uh, which is about an all-Muslim female punk band and features songs such as Nobody's Gonna Honor Kill My Sister But Me. And her whole thing is that she likes to take Muslim women and put them into unique situations. As I said, with We Are Lady Parts, he must put them as a punk band. In this one, it's to put it into a martial arts setting. And as you mentioned already, we have, we have the sis, the younger sister who wants, is an aspiring stunt woman. You've got the older sister who's a pothead and an art school dropout who uh, suddenly finds herself brought into an arranged marriage with a younger sister, assuming that something written in Denmark about uh, a sister's new fiancé. Um, really enjoyed this one, actually. Um, I, I'm so happy you which did. Which is surprising, I really, because I don't really like British cinema. Um, but I I really felt I wasn't... By, by aligning it with Edgar Wright, I didn't think I was helping. Oh, no, it, you can definitely your see the Edgar Wright <laughs> influence on it. And I mean, she does obviously state that Edgar Wright is, and the Coen brothers are like her big mm. influences. And you can certainly see Edgar Wright's sort of influence throughout this film. And yeah, I mean, the Eunice Heart, Heart thing did nothing for myself. The fight scenes, they occasionally verge on slack food, but at the same time, incredibly fun, especially the fact that every big fight she gets into, when it comes up the verses, normally ends up with her getting her ass handed to her. Um, the, the, the Edgar Wright stuff especially comes into play when we come into the end game of this film, which involves cloning... And reincarnation, and suddenly everyone suddenly being a martial arts master, including the manicurist, which made yeah. no sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just loved it. I, I, as I said last time, mate, I thought it was going to be like an East is East kind of deal, right? Or East is whatever that film's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, it was East is East, and then they or, did or, uh, um, the East. They did East is West as well, so that was a sequel. Yeah, they. They did, or bend it like Beckham, where it was going to be like fish out of water. This thing just leans into she's a modern British Muslim schoolgirl, and I, let's have some fun with it. And I hadn't, I didn't know about We Are Lady Parts, so that I, I will check that out because I think she's just a really interesting creator. 
Yeah, at the same time, unfortunately, as I said, because being, you know, a young Muslim woman who's obviously trying to shake things up, it did lead to, again, a lot of backlash, which caused her to, like, cancel all her social media. And thankfully, she's in a good creative circle where they sort of, like, pushed her to continue this vision that she's got for her work. I'm very excited to see what she does next. I mean, We Are Lady Parts is available on the uh, E4 player. It's uh, like a lot of their, you know, their... Because Channel 4 over here, they like to push the boundaries a lot with their series and they often do like one series or something and then it'll be there and kind of forgotten. So the good thing about the, the E4 player is the fact that you can just go back and, and watch it. And I assume it's going to be on BritBox as well for you guys in the States, so... You should be able to find it as well. Um, she also said that she drew inspiration from Young Wu Ping for the fight choreography. And yeah, I mean, there's obviously some wire work in here, but it certainly doesn't lack the sort of finesse of the master, which is, you know, to be understandable because he's Young Wu Ping. I mean, the only person I know who's sort of like come, who's sort of like a come to that level is Tarantino because when he was doing Kill Bill, he hired Young Wu Ping. And he brought in the script, and Ping was like, well, what do you want me to do with this? You've already choreographed all the fight scenes here. Um, so, because normally when you have, like, a script, it's like, insert fight scene here, and then your fight choreographer will go and create something for you. And Tarantino had scripted out everything for him, and I think he didn't know what to really do with himself on that one. But, yeah, it's well worth checking out. It is currently on Sky Movies for us here in the UK, so you can go check it out there, but I imagine it's going to turn up on one of the streaming services very soon. Uh, next up, we have the utterly bonkers Shin Kamen Rider. I don't know. Ah, I was going to watch this. I haven't got round to it yet. <laughs> Certainly doing the rounds on all the platforms at the minute, because everyone seems to be <laughs> watching this. Um <laughs> This is like watching two seasons of a show condensed into a movie. Uh, it's a lot more violent than I was expecting, especially from a Shin, uh, from a Kamen Rider property. But this is um, from Hideaki Anno, who did Shin Godzilla. Um, and Shin Ultraman, which is another one I haven't watched yep, yet. Yeah, and he did the um, Evangelion reboot movies as well, the uh, the one point ones and and that. Right. So he's created this little Shin world for himself. Because yeah, Shin is Japanese for new. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. So I see. I I didn't. I I I only something popped up. On social media this week that said about Shin Kamen Rider, I thought, oh, I'd better check that out. But I didn't think it. I thought well, it can't be. He can't have done another one because he only did Shin Ultraman last year. <laughs> really, <laughs> was really quite productive. Um, mm. But yeah, here it says he's a guy called uh, Hongo uh, Takashi who awakens to discover he's been transformed into a grasshopper hybrid cyborg, becoming the title of Mass Rider, and now must fight the evil organization Shocker to protect all of mankind. That is about the most sanest plot synopsis I can give you. Um, because, boy, was there a lot happening in this movie. I think I need to take another crack on it, probably when I'm a little less tired. But um, the action's pretty incredible. The actual promo uh, video they did for it is the opening shot of the movie, which is like him escaping these two trucks that like trying to run him over. It's a... As I said, it's a really fun movie, and it's got a lot of energy um, 
and creativity to it and suddenly it was a lot more violent than I was expecting as people just like randomly explode into bloody pulps I thought yeah. you know this is good because Kamen Rider was obviously um, if I remember this right it was sort of like the key inspiration or it was what they used for Power Rangers so I was gonna I was gonna ask that so like, like a lot of these there's a lot of properties, Japanese properties, things like Gatchaman, yes. which were repurposed. I know Gatchaman was repurposed into Battle of the Planets. I thought Kamen Rider was what was used to create Power Rangers. That's, uh, I mean, for, for, I mean, well, obviously, you confirmed it now with uh, Kamen Rider. Kamen Rider's got that many different series. It's a little hard to follow. They're all kind of like standalone. Right. When it came over to the States, what they basically did was anytime the people were in suits and fighting and you had like giant monsters and stuff, basically mm-hmm. all the stuff that looked like uh, Tokusetsu, all that sort of like giant men in suits mm-hmm. and stuff, that was all footage from the show. And then they would shoot a bunch of wraparound footage with the American actors who were all paid absolutely dirt because um, mm-hmm. they didn't think the show was going to take off and the, become this monster hit that it was. Um, so yeah, they they basically shot a bunch of footage with like these American kids, and then they edited it into the episodes. It's like when you watch Big Bad Beetleborgs, which was the other one that they edited. Uh, oh. That's about um, a team fighting demons, which really didn't come across in the kids show version <laughs> we got. So it's fun. You can go back and you can watch all the Carmen Rider episodes. Uh, that you obviously watched as a kid when they were Power Rangers, and just get like a completely different story. I mean, I've, I've got to be honest. Never really dug Power Rangers. I think I'm just a little bit too old. Cause it's a '90s thing, right? And yeah, I mean, it was. I think, as I said, I think it was for like the, the Xenials who sort of like came into Power Rangers. Mm. Um, and certainly for myself, I mean, I. I came into it and was sort of like had that it felt very similar to like what I was enjoying with Godzilla but I never was able to draw the connection because I said we didn't really have internet it's not like you can go oh well this was Carmen Rider that someone we edited we thought this was just a new show we didn't realize they were taking mm. uh, that they were buying the show from Japan and just re-editing it which it which would have been exactly my experience with Battle of the Planets right Battle of the Planets was this cartoon that I adored. I had no idea of its provenance and the fact that it was utterly butchered and the bits with the robot talking were added in by the American studio to add fake plot that it's nothing like. And I think one day I would like to watch Gatchaman to see what the real stories were. <laughs> we'll do that. It's... We'll sit down, we'll watch Gatchaman. And, um, yeah. The other one, Sailor Moon, which I believe edited out a whole character. Because there's a lesbian yeah. uh, arc in there. Which I really so, need to sit down and watch Sailor Moon and I mean, stuff. Sailor so. Moon is... I, I understand it as memes and <laughs> culturally. I've never watched an episode or any kind of live action version. Cutie Huddy I have. Which is again one of those films I will bring to the show one day. But I, I, I don't know. I know about Sailor Moon and it's like Sailor Saturn and I, I, I get the I know the idea behind it but there is it's just this whole sort of I guess that that first well I'd say Godzilla was like this first wave of and the monster movies kaiju movies the first wave of Japanese culture infiltrating western and especially American culture and then you had these 
cartoons and live action stuff. Transformers is the other classic example, of course, isn't it? Where Transformers also was a Japanese cartoon that they. Oh no, uh, Transformers re- was a uh, usually Japanese. Uh, sure, there's a lot of cartoons that we grew up with, which were like mm. baby's first anime that we didn't realize because yeah. they were like like chasing the wheeled warriors, um, and they were like using like um, animation studios over in in Japan that we had. We'd have a lot of cross. Cross uh, productions and actually, happening. No, you, you, yeah, actually, transform. It was the toys they were copying. So the toys yes, existed. The toys existed, Japan, and they they brought them over. And then over in Japan, they had their own, uh, which I think was Transformers Armada. They had their own series over there as well. Oh, mate, tra- Transformers is a whole. We could be a whole podcast about Transformers and G two and 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 all that, all the different timelines and. I'm yeah. Even even the early CGI stuff. I'm a huge fan of Beast Wars and Beast Machines, but I haven't watched Rise of the Beasts because those films are shit. <laughs> I haven't seen Rise of the Beasts. Yet. <laughs> I sort of tuned out after three. Um, so, but anyway, sorry, I've completely sidewiped. That's you. okay. Um, is it any good? Shin Clown Rider, because I'm really keen to watch Oh, yeah, it. I mean, I, I, I joined what I followed. It's just in terms of a critical standpoint of understanding it enough to go, oh, yeah, this is totally what happened. I, I couldn't <laughs> really fully say. And I think this used to be the general opinion, is that there's a lot happening. <laughs> We're not exactly sure what um, was happening. So, yeah, I've, I will... Revisit it when I'm feeling a little more when I'm feeling a little more awake. So that was the first mistake I made, watching it at the end of the day. And I need to really sort of do it first thing in the morning and uh, mm. watch it properly and piece it all together. Um, next up we had Yes, Madam, which ties very nicely into tonight's feature because it is uh, in the line of Osner's in the line of duty, and uh, Royal Wars is in the line of duty too. Depends on uh, where you're getting your tapes from. Uh, it's not as simple as that, though, is it? Because <laughs> I fall, I've fallen down this rabbit hole, which is why I have, yes, madam, world warriors, and in the line the duty three and four, which I bought recently, all from Eureka, I yeah. think. But it was very unclear to me whether yes, madam, or world warriors is meant to be watched first. I don't They're think it matters. Don't... It's like the police. Yeah, they are it's like police story. Um, they're just all standalone films. So you don't need to worry about that. But Yes Madam is a real sort of uh, noteworthy title because it introduced uh, the East to Cynthia Rock, uh, Rothrock yeah. who is uh, one of the few Western actors to have a substantial career in the East. Normally they would come over and they would play like bit parts, often like thugs or heavies. And Cynthia Rorog has this starring role. I mean, she was spotted at a martial arts competition and they brought her in uh, for this film. This film is also noteworthy for being the debut of Michelle Yeoh, who also happened to be dating Dixon Poon at the time. Everyone's favourite film to juice his name. (laughs) Did he not... What was that Michelle Yeoh film we watched? Magnificent Warriors. Yeah, he he. Yeah, he produces his first part of her career. He's the producer because she goes from being a dancer and and Miss Malaysia, and Mm. they make it. They you know they hide her much like uh, Maggie Chunk, hide her from the beauty pageant circuit and made her uh, an actress. And uh, this was like one of her first films. 
And when she married uh, Dixon, she retired, as was the tradition at the time. And mm. when their relationship broke down, which I believe reading on the internet today was uh, due to the fact she can't have children, um, she came back out of retirement and has continued her career onto you know Oscar success and huge success mm. on both the both sides of the yeah in the east and the west. She has. She's been one of the great crossover. I mean, probably more so than, I mean, Jackie Chan, I guess, is culturally significant, but Michelle Yeoh has had genuine success on both sides of the East-West divide, hasn't she? You know, she's she's headlined movies. She's been a Bond girl. She's won Oscars. She's, um, she's headlined biopics by Luc Besson you know she was she was the in a non-action role in the lady um the only I would say I mean people like Joan Chen have had some kind of success although I'd say it was more I mean Joan Chen was in Twin Peaks wasn't she and a few other things um Maggie Chung of course because she married a Frenchman has had some success in his movies, but I wouldn't say necessarily outside of that so much. So yeah, so yeah, Michelle Yeoh is a inter- a true international star. Yeah. Um, well, this one is directed by Corey Yoon, who let's not forget is one of the uh, Seven Fortunes uh, from the Peking Opera School. So that includes like Jackie Chan, Samuel uh, Hung, Yang Biao, that particular group. And he's also like done films, uh, directed films in the West. I mean, he did The Transport, he did Dead or Alive, um, and No Retreat, No Surrender. Uh, but this is just a real st- sort of standout film all the way around. I mean, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, Michelle Yeoh's character, she's kind of portrayed as a uh, Dirty Harry-style character, as the opening has uh, stopping an armoured truck robbery, uh, which includes her take on, you know, the do-you-feel-lucky punk scene, but she's got a shotgun instead of a magnum. And uh, Cynthia Rockart is playing a agent from Scotland Yard, because apparently, you know, America's the same as England. Which is funny, in a Hong Kong movie, you just thought they'd have been more sensitive towards that because of their British background, but okay, I'll go with it. So, yeah, basically, they're brought to, together to try and find a hidden microfilm to take down this uh, triad boss. At the same time, a two thieves and their friend have uh, got hold of the microfilm and it becomes sort of like uh, this sort of oddball comedy with these uh, thieves that are running around with the microfilm and uh, at the same time you've got the mismatch couple with uh, Michelle Yeoh and Sifra Rockart, the partners who don't see sort of eye to eye because they've got different methods. I really wanted to choose the tagline that kill you all kinds of dead because Sinfra Rockart does a lot of the fighty stuff. Michelle Yeoh does uh, quite a bit of like heroic gunplay in this one. But at the end, it's just a really phenomenal sort of uh, action sequence that took like 30 days to shot, shoot. Um, Rothrock had managed to get herself injured. And uh, by I'm trying to remember, I think it was Dick Way um, injured her. And when she came back, they had to get a stunt woman in to do the scorpion kick she does on him because they thought that she may want to retaliate and kick him in the head. Nice. So recently... 
I watched, I think I took the last episode, I watched um, the Inspector Wear Skirt. Yes. Didn't I? Which she's in as well, although bizarrely shoehorned in at the beginning and at the end. And interestingly, that's obviously done well because they've just announced um, the sequels being released over here. I mean, it's a last year of Stephen Chow movies. Now it's Cynthia Rothrock movies. But there's a lovely little extra on the um, Inspector Wear Skirt. So there's an inter- a modern day interview with her. And she's such a lovely lady. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's really hard to sort of square the circle of this ass kicking woman on one side. She, I mean, she was a genuine martial artist, right? Yes, the fact she's she um, a master of seven a... seven fighting styles, including taekwondo, kickboxing, and karate. And she, as I said, she's a multiple time black belt within her profession. So she was a legitimate martial artist before she started mm. making movies. Um, and, and, you know, everything I said, just said about Michelle Yeoh sort of working in the East and the West. I mean, she she made eight or ten movies in Hong Kong. She's a genuine star. And as we've said many a time, normally if you have a Caucasian in one of these movies, it's somebody they've just picked up off the street and the acting is fucking terrible. In fact, we might talk about that soon. Um, it's just, whereas she's done it and, she, and she's... I think yes. When Inspector Westcott is um is produced by Jackie Chan, she talks about she was hoping she was going to be working with Jackie Chan, but she just works with his stunt team. He he just turned up for a day to watch and stuff like that. But she's just such a nice lady, and I don't. It's really hard to say. Oh, and she's also an ass kicking super martial artist stunt woman. Blah blah blah. It's it's fascinating. Oh yeah, I, I've I've only just really become aware of her, and she's she's great. I really wish there was like a behind the scenes on like how they do the stunt work because there seems to be a lot of guys getting thrown into some very inanimate objects. So these they're just basically like throwing themselves off, and they're like hitting furniture and stuff. There doesn't seem to be any way that they could pad these falls out at all. Um. It's, it's absolutely insane, like the fight sequence in, in the end of this film. And I think it's it's a really fun film throughout. And as I said, you've got this trio of thieves who are all named after painkillers. So you've got Aspirin, Strep- <laughs> Strepsil, and Panadol. Like I said, I've bought this on Blue. I haven't watched it yet. I'm guessing you're watching the same version I am if you're watching it on some streaming uh, site. Yeah, this is on Sky Movies at the minute, so they've actually got yeah, them so on there, which I really hope that they continue to pick up, because this is uh, Eureka. That's right. So Eureka, last year, put out, like I said, they put out the first four, what we'll call the first four, um, what they called Line of Duty movies. There are another couple that they don't seem to have got the rights to, but kind of exciting because they hadn't if I was reading it right you know, not all of them have been available before and this is quite cool but I, I'm i aware of Yes Madam because I've seen lots of clips it quite often appears in clip shows and on YouTube reels and stuff like that so that's where I started and then I thought oh no but it's in line of duty oh and there's this one and there's this one this one and then you said let's watch Royal Warriors so I've started with Royal Warriors but um, I'm looking forward to watching it because it, it looks a lot of fun and I quite like Cynthia Rothrock in the other movie. And come on, it's Michelle Yeoh, right? 
not wanting to spoil what we talk about later. Exactly. <laughs> um, I also caught Dragons Forever. This is directed by Samuel Hung from 1988. Uh, this is Jackie Chan playing a lawyer who's also a kung fu master. You can piece that one together yourself. Who's been hired by a Hong Kong uh, chemical plant that is trying to get um he's trying to shut down the local fish farm which they've been poisoning with their sort of like off run um at the same time he's trying to infiltrate this fish farm so he hires his friends he applied by uh samo and young biao who are basically uh, it's just becomes like a, a real sort of you know bumbling friends and sort of uh, storyline, very similar to like Meals on Wheels. You know, Jackie fall, Jackie and Samuel fall for the uh, two sisters who run this uh, uh, fish farm. And it basically is it's weird because you've got this romantic subplot and you've got this sort of like real comedy sort of slapstick elements. And then occasionally they just have like a really blinding fight sequence, which are really the highlights of this film with the end uh, fight scene in the factory just being just really phenomenal again if you want to see guys like find unique ways to be thrown through plate glass windows then i think this is really going to be the film for you it also features uh benny the jet who we also saw in uh i always get the right is wheels on meals isn't it because yeah. we have meals on wheels here so yeah <laughs> i always get them mixed up there but yeah they have a, a blind fight he plays a thug at this uh factory which turns out to be a front because it's all about producing heroin and the whole time this fight is going on, he's just putting heroin into packets and eating the heroin, and it's just really bizarre. And then finally, he decides to get his ass in gear and actually do some fighting. But yeah, this is uh, the last fifteen minutes or so of the real highlight here, where you get to see the fight scenes. But the rest of it, it, it depends on how much you like sort of Hong Kong comedies, really. Um, I think in this sort of period of Jackie Chan's career, it's sort of like the real highlights of the fight scenes and that's what you're here for rather than sort of like the bits that come between the fight scenes. Mm, it's a bit like the Lucky Stars movies and things like yeah. that. There's this sort of, the, the, there's it's, it's a sub-genre. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. Um, no, no, yeah. What's the one? I've got loads in my head right now, but I, I quite enjoy them to be honest with you. Um, you get the same sort of guys, the same sort of jokes, but it's where things like Jackie Chan and Samuel Hung's genuine charisma comes out in these movies, I think. And and they're played for laughs and there's some good action and they are very much of their time though. I think I think it's something that Hong Kong cinema hasn't done well for a long time. It's all a bit grim and gritty now. Finally, uh, we've got The Human Trap, which just hit uh, Amazon Prime as of today of us recording this. This is directed by Lee Lee Moon Young. Um, It's a South Korean thriller. And uh, basically follows these uh, two couples who are going away for a camping getaway. Um, At the same time, there's a crazed madman that's wandering the hills, and soon they start to realise that not everything is quite what it seems. Uh, This is an okay slasher, I guess, is the best way to put it. I mean, it's got some fun twists along the way, and sort of uh, the end game is pretty fun, and it delivers in the the Gorsaw stakes, but at the same time, it's 
not doing anything particularly special. It's sort of very sort of like meat and potatoes horror. So it's certainly an enjoyable enough experience while it lasts. And certainly the, fr the twists that it throws in are decent enough to really sort of hold my interest in this one, even though some of the characters are just damn right annoying. But we should be sort of grateful for the fact that they're not following into the usual sort of tropes where they're just really sort of like stupid and incapable. They're just sort of like normal people who find themselves in an extraordinary situation. Although, why they're going camping in what appears to be the dead of winter, I have no clue whatsoever. But you know, the snowy setting's nice, and the film is certainly shot pretty enough, even though it's making use of a very sort of limited location. I think it uh, does a good uh, job with the material, and certainly one worth checking out if you're curious. Um, over on Amazon Prime. That's available to buy or rent. Oh, you salesman. <laughs> I'm just saying, when you say Amazon Prime, everyone assumes that it's instantly like free, but you know, there's some things you've got to pay for. Amazon Prime is one of... It's confusing, really, talk, isn't it? What's going on over there? I mean, we've talked about it many times. There's, there's some wonderful things about Amazon Prime in that, as we've described it before, it's like an old-style video shop and there's some little treasures to be found there. But there is this, and it's a little bit entitled, but we pay... And that pay, the amount we pay for Amazon Prime has actually gone up this year. And we do get all that free delivery and... You know, as a sports fan, I get some football matches twice a year and they've got the tennis, if you're into that, on it and blah, blah, blah. But it really does fucking annoy me that most of the movies on there I'd have to pay extra for. And it's, it's, it's at least when I've bought Netflix, which I still mean to cancel, um, at least I know there's no extra you know, they might, I, I think they're going to add some adverts in aren't they so they're it's talking about adding with adverts, adverts on there because hang on a minute yeah stop it how many times do you need to go into space or to be fair he's not ahead of it anymore but um yeah i i, I understand netflix doing it i don't understand why amazon need to do it aren't they just like swimming in money i always imagine everyone at amazon at the at the board level is like Scrooge McDuck, you know, got swimming pools full of. I just love the fact bills. that uh, Bezos claims to be a self-made man when he had a hefty loan to start the company in the first place. Let's. Uh... And that whole leather jacket, sad man, middle-aged look is just something else. Hey, you know, he's a multi-billionaire who's who's been caught sharing dick pics and. Oh, and then when his uh, wife got onto like the um, the. Fortune 100 or whatever, and they had offer, and it's like, really, is that how you earned your money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, in our lifetime, he's you know, he's turned uh, commerce upside down, hasn't I he? I really appreciated I, him shutting borders down, that was real appreciated at Christmas, so. <laughs> Yes, I understand that. Um, I just, you know, he has had an impact on the world. Um, I'm not going to pass any judgment if that was right or wrong. Um, well, I watched the uh, Zuckerberg Master of the Metaverse documentary um, last night, which was, you know, was interesting. But again, it's that sort of like, you know, with great power. Um, mm. sort of thing so yeah it's interesting that we're now all these like tech billionaires are now being 
called to account whereas before it's sort of like push forward apologize later that they've been working with as is this sort of standard uh, work practice of the silicon valley so oh absolutely i mean obviously some of the more historic leaders of commerce people like henry ford have have you know have had certainly their critics it's nice to see some of the more modern ones being held to account in real time bezos and zuckerberg like you say musk i mean even i guess um with a bit of mythologizing um what's his name that was at apple oh gates uh are we talking about no um... no not gates uh the other one um i can't remember his name tim cook's the new guy what's the original guy um steve jobs oh yes who didn't even and... code but you know we all know that uh gates he was... only got there because of the great and powerful was yeah, exactly, and, and unfortunately, it looks like Was isn't very well. Um, so that that's going to be. I only found out recently that uh, Was was on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a fascinating character, is Was, um, and also too much of a good bloke to really make as big a deal as he could have done about um, Mr. Jobs. But I just think it's nice that people not nice, but I think it's important that people can be held to be held to account and criticised in real time. Whereas I think some of the, you know, the Rockefellers and the Henry T. Fords weren't criticised. Well, I guess they, well, they owned the means of production, didn't they? You couldn't, you couldn't slag off some of them because they owned the fucking newspapers or they, I don't know. Anyway, um, how did we even get there? (laughs) <laughs> talking about uh, the 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 business model of Amazon for their streaming platforms. Yes, yes. I I think it's a bit disgusting that a we have to pay for some of it because I thought we already were and b they're now going to put adverts on it because what the fuck do they need more money for? Well, no. It's time to find the projector for tonight's feature presentation, which is Royal Warriors. So tonight we're talking about Royal Warriors from 1986, directed by David Chung. Uh, As we said uh, already, this is the follow-up in many ways to yes madam um even though the two films are very much their own standalone films so don't have to worry about which order that you see them in but here michelle yo plays a tough policewoman who is finds herself teamed up with a japanese detective and whatever michael wong is <laughs> to uh take on a group of uh terrorists Oh yeah, Michael Wong is a is a is an air so, marshal. Michael Wong apparently. as Michael Wong. <laughs> I know that is funny. Well, the, to be fair, <laughs> Michelle Yeoh's character is called Michelle as well, isn't it? <laughs> and and um, um, what's his name? Um, Hiroyuki Sonada's character is called something different verbally than it is in the subtitles. <laughs> but um, well, certainly on the Eureka DVD, it is. I think he's called Sonada, but that's not what they called him out loud. Yeah, Hiroki uh, Sonada, <laughs> who has really come into his own recently. Because, um, as I said, you see him in this film, and then you look onto his letterbox, 
and you realize that it's all like, oh, wait, he was like in Avengers Endgame, he was in Bullet Train, he was in The Wolverine. Oh, mate, I mean, he is... He's in Mortal I mean, Kombat. You say, rec- you, you say recently, I saw this, I saw, I saw, I saw this young Japanese fan, I thought, well, that looks like the guy from all those other movies that I've watched. And it is him. And I thought, as a young man, and then you find out he was a child star. And before he'd even done this, he'd done Shakespeare in England and stuff. I mean, he's he's a he's a renowned act of you know they say off stage and screen, and he is. But again, for the third time this episode, you know, and he's done it in the East and the West. Um, I just look so young in this, and I just wasn't expecting him. And he's a trained martial artist. I had no idea. I've always known him as, in maybe in the late. He's in the Mortal Kombat movies, isn't he? Well, he's in the most <coughs> recent movie. one because he the plays Scorpion. One. Yeah, that's right. But he's in, um, like you say. He, I mean, he's in Endgame a little bit, I suppose. His characters. He's out in the in the Japanese stuff where Hawkeye is doing his fucking Hawkeye stuff. Um, but he was in uh, it was that show a couple of years ago about some outbreak of a disease in the Antarctic or something. Um, yeah, he t- appears all the time in lots of movies, lots of Western movies, lots of Japanese movies. I was not expecting him in this movie, and I had to do a double take. Obviously, Michael Wong, you'd already warned me about. Yes. So, <laughs> as you mentioned already, with the in the line of duty films, they kind of mix up the order because, um, yes, Madam was released as in the line of duty two, the police assassins. This one was released as in the line of duty. Um, although now it's released as Royal Warriors. So. There doesn't appear to be a lot of royal warrioring. It's good. It's, in it's it the either. Royal Hong Kong I, I, Police Force, isn't it? Oh, I suppose so. Okay. <laughs> of which only one member of the um Real. of the cast is a member of. And she doesn't even make it as a member to the end of the movie, does she? Um Yeah, it's a but I don't care. Because you know what, mate? This was fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> this is <laughs> this is one of the best films we've covered on this show. <laughs> to my I mind. was I watched this like I think this I watched this like the day the kids broke up from school because I was facing like nine days before Christmas, so that's always fun. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to sit down and watch this because it's on Sky Movies. I thought, well, I'll sit down and watch this, and like it keeps. Building and building, it's sort of like you have like uh, this, have like the opening sort of scene where they're having a fight on a on a plane, and there's people being like sucked out of the windows and stuff, and it just somehow manages to keep building and building as it goes on. And I would just like watching this going, we totally have to talk about this film on the show because it falls into that wonderful world of like, as we've been straight, we like the Battle Wizard, where if you have like these kung fu movies, but they're so extreme but at the same time this certainly isn't like a kung fu weird movie i mean it falls kind of in that sort of like girls with guns territory but there is certainly a lot more martial arts here and the fact that we've got as i said we've got a japanese martial artist we've got a hong kong martial artist and then we've got michael wong 
It's so hard not to just like so discount him in this let's movie. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Michael Wong. So Michael Wong, I think he's Canadian. Oh, is he American? It doesn't really matter. He's North American. That'll that'll cover that'll cover all the bases. And he's a. I mean, at this stage, he's quite a handsome Chinese man, right? And he has made this incredible career in Hong Kong cinema, despite the fact he can't speak Cantonese. I'm not even sure he can speak Mandarin, but he certainly can't speak Cantonese. And he's just gotten away with it. And we're not talking about, like, Cynthia Rothrock can't speak Cantonese or Mandarin, but she made eight or ten movies. This guy's made hundreds. And in this era, when did this film come out, mate? Um, This came out in 86. 86. So he wasn't new then, and I think he's still appearing in movies now, right? Oh, yeah, he's so in he the, uh, got... I think he's in the new Transformers movie that you refuse to watch. I think you're right. But he's making movies in, in, in China still, yeah, or in, in, in Hong Kong, China, whatever. He... I, I've got to be very careful politically what I say. But he's got a 40-year career. And somehow it hasn't picked up any of the fucking language. I do not understand. And also, he can't act. <laughs> it's just... And there's a thing about this movie. I don't know if you've seen my letterbox. I think I think I wrote it in there. What we've got, we have got a young, ass-kicking Michelle Yeoh, who... And she is young in this movie, and she does some great stunts, and she's full of personality, and she's excellent. And then we've got Hamuyaki Sanada, who does some good fighting stuff. And he's got like an intensity, you know, his character goes to a fuck. We'll talk about there's some dark turns this movie takes. Um, but, you know, he's a proper actor. And then you've got Michael Wong, who quite possibly is the most annoying cunt in any... Sorry, but you might want to bleep that. That I've seen it for a long time. A, a man without tact without understanding but you know it's all right because his story takes a very dark turn <laughs> two-thirds of the way through the movie and then becomes how what i think I'm, I'm happy to spoil it if you are but let's get to that point yeah i mean this i mean this is films really hits the ground running most like yes madam it doesn't waste any time like building up or introducing characters. We're sort of like at a street sort of carnival, and Michelle Yeoh's like introduced, and she's like instantly kicking ass. And you can see that dancer training like really paying off here. The way that she like pirouettes into spin kick and spin kick. She's got such amazing body control, and you see this as with so many of the female uh, martial artists, the ones that didn't come from like a martial arts or like the Peking Opera backgrounds, that they were all dancers. Like, uh, was it um, Chang Chang Pei? Chang yeah. Peng Pei, who was obviously Golden Swallow, yeah, yeah. Uh, came from a dancing background, and as said, uh, I think Maggie Chung also came from a uh, dancing background as well. Michelle Yeoh definitely did because she was a ballet dancer. Um, and she's so many interviews that she's given of like, like coming over to like London and doing training here. And the fact that she would go on dates and her mother would be escorting her and she'd be like talking to the guy and he put his hand on her leg and then she feels the hand on the other leg and it's like, Oh, what's going on here? And it's like her mother, like giving evils across her to the guy. So she is just so 
charismatic and charming on the screen here and the fact that she's also a bona fide ass kicker in this movie especially as she sort of like builds up to it as we see as she sort of like and she's just like the nice police officer and by the end she's sort of like got the leather jacket and the gloves the fingerless gloves and she's driving an armored car and oh it's just fantastic i mean again that's something else we need to talk about at least they put it on the front cover of the blu-ray um yeah no she uh, and this so yeah the film the film has action sequence after action sequence but it still has a bit of a story every character has an arc which i found interesting you know it's it doesn't sacrifice completely character development for um action i mean the first opening sequence is an extended sort of sequence on the world's most comfortable plane Oh yeah, it's like it's like they <laughs> shot it on one of the Virgin planes, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Everyone's got a lot of legroom on this plane, <laughs> and some of it is that's not how depressurization works, or you can't like just using your fucking strength beat a depressurized plane, and if your arms out there. It's going to freeze as much as your face would. But again, that without context, that's not going to make a lot of sense. So there is some, you know, the laws of physics aren't always obeyed in this movie. But it's pretty cool, right? And even the bad guys have a reason for being the bad guys. Or the reason they're acting. The, you know, one of them is a reprehensible fucking villain. But the other three bad guys... Are with him for a reason. Yeah, because um, um, I think we should obviously just introduce him really. Because I mean, the whole sort of trigger point is as it is this fight on the on the aircraft where you've got one of the these hijackers who are trying to free one of their bosses who's been extradited to Hong Kong, and this leads to you know Michelle joining Michael Wong's Sky Marshal along with the Japanese cop. Um, and the three sort of like come together and essentially find themselves being like marked for death by these uh, by these <coughs> mobsters who've got like a blood oath. Um, so it what it follows then is that you've got, uh, as I said, one of these, uh, the mobsters are basically trying to take revenge. I mean, he kills uh, Yamamoto's family, which obviously sends him off on uh, sort of like the deep end. And it becomes almost kind of like you're watching a Hong Kong version of Lethal Weapon in a way. Mm. Yeah, there is that. There is that, and again, that would be contemporaneous with this period of eighty-seven or so, isn't it? That's that's um, isn't that when Lethal Weapon came out? Yeah, and it's when you look at it as well. You've got Michelle Yeoh, who's sort of like the grounded cop, and then you've got Yamamoto, who is basically like the psychotic sort of like uh, Riggs sort of character here. Yeah, as he yeah, he's kind of he's kind of hiding it. But he has these scenes with his wife and daughter, and you can see they're fucking. The, the wife is terrified of him. No, no, no! I'm going to leave the police force. I'm not. But you know, it's because he's. We we find out later it's because he's a fucking nut job. <laughs> so obviously, when you got like a guy's a little high strung, probably not the best thing to do is to kill his family in a really interesting. Um, how they shoot it and show that explosion, you could have almost swore that they put people in the car and blew it up. But it may just be yeah, the fact that they so, have the giant panda <laughs> fire in there. So. so, yeah, so basically, at the beginning of the film, there's this there's this Japanese gangster fella 
who's being extradited back to Japan, I yes, think. Yes, that's right. Or from Japan to Hong Kong. Because I think the film starts So, yeah, it's going from Japan it? to Hong Kong, isn't he? So. so, Michelle Yeoh's on the flight, and um, Sonata's character is on the flight, and they have a little weird flirt, which is a bit odd. Um, and uh, Michael Wong, Michael, well, Michael Wong is an air marshal, who announces to Michelle Yeoh, without knowing what she is, that he's an air marshal, because that's the thing. And then there's a there's an action on the plane to repatriate this Japanese Yakuza guy and shit happens and goes down. And then they're all, the three of them land and are basically announced as heroes to the Hong Kong press. But it turns out that the Japanese guy wants to leave the police force and go and live with his family who are dutifully waiting for him in Hong Kong. So he's got a attractive young wife and he's got a, a young daughter who's just one of those. Precocious little children, you know, isn't she? Preco- precocious little cutie pies, that is. And and, he's, and, then, and he doesn't really want to play up to all the media frenzy and blah, 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 and you think, fair enough. And then... Uh, the film just decides to blow the mother and daughter up in a car bomb <laughs> one of the darker moments of the film i think it is the darkest moment we've got another bit coming later but and, and you're right it is it it's i mean i'm no expert on car bombs in films um but it's up there with is it the um i can't remember is it is that jackie chan from the recent one it's the one... Oh, the foreigner. The foreigner, yeah. That that's a car bomb in it where he loses his daughter. Um, that's that's in one of the... Yeah, they do love a fucking car bomb, but it's it's dark. And, and then, like you say, he's he's given her this present of this... Is it a bunny? A cuddly something or other giant... Stuffed animal, toy. isn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, we see the rotted... <laughs> Not the rotted, the, the charred, burnt corpse of this giant stuffed animal is is the thing there. And and Sonata does go back off the deep end again. The local Hong Kong police deal with this in one of the world's worst fucking ways ever. <laughs> Got to stay at the station. Yeah, I'm sure that's the best place for him. And then and he spends the next 20 minutes sitting in the morgue with them, doesn't he? Oh, that's not even like... We're missing a whole <laughs> sequence here, there, because the, that would be like the traditional sort of Western mission, and you have the car bomb and him like crying up in the sky. Mm. But instead, Blackie Coe gives us a, a most exhilarating car chase sequence, which has like... Yeah. Buses crashing through, because uh, you see Blackie Co's like little credit there for car stunts at the opening of the film. You think, oh, okay, that's interesting, and then you see his contribution to the film, and it's the most incredible car chase sequence where we're launching cars. It's like a throwback to like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, where cars just like magically launch themselves in the air with a runaway <laughs> bus at one point. It's what how they shot this I would really love to know and that even leads to a building site fight where um, the villain tries to bury one of them with an excavator you're right there is so much in this I had I, I've skipped over that you're, you're so the, 
so Fiction right, beats it's... come so thick and fast. It's all like every situation we just seem to manage to find. Like we don't really sort of like um, we don't sort of like move into a scenes. We just have action scenes that go between um, the scenes. It's like so fast and furious. It's kind of like up there with like Desperado for like how much action there is in this film and how the film flows there's always something happening and like every location we go to is really you're just waiting for like you you go into like the nightclub sequence you're like looking at it and going oh we can do this and this and you you're fight choreographing every scene you go into uh so when we have like the nightclub fight sequence which itself is equally insane we have like the quarry sequence at the end which is insane we have like a um wire drop which I could swear they just threw a guy off the top of a building, um, and just. Well, I think I. Well, I think they did. I think I think. Where they put the air cushion, if they did, it? I am not the first clue. Yeah, it's it's really well. So 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 now you've got that. So, uh, so, the film progresses with Michael Wong's character continuing to try and hit on Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, that's that's all he really does, isn't it? So even though it's not clear, I mean it outwardly she seems to be batting him away, but she does invite him into her apartment. So and and that has to happen for something to happen later on. But you know, I, I think she's a little bit softening, but he's utterly without tact, utterly without, you know, the guy, Sonada's wife and child are killed, and his first thought is, oh, now he's single, do you want to go for him instead? I mean, what a prick. <laughs> Just, I don't even know Michael Wong knows what's going on, because he doesn't know what he's saying. <laughs> but if if you were asked to play this role, would you say, "Well, can can my character turn it down a bit?" Because it's not funny. I think the I think maybe maybe it is funny, but I didn't find it very funny. I just found it fucking annoying. Michael Wong in this but, movie is what Johnny Cage is to Mortal Kombat. That is the best way to describe his character. He's just there to to crack jokes, hit on Michelle Yeoh's character. And generally, sort of uh, get in the way while you know Sonata and and Yoda sort of like get on with uh, things. But of course, the writers of the movie realise this, and two thirds of the way through the movie, <laughs> they decide to have him captured, hung off a building, and then he basically commits suicide. I think, doesn't he? And a spectacular fall. And you're right; it's really well filmed, and he's dead. At which point Michelle Yeoh realises she really loved him and turns into the Dark Avenger and decides to end all this once and for all at the same time as Sonada's characters decided to do the same thing as well. Um, they're, they're, they're a couple of Revengers, aren't they? They aren't really working together, but they end I'm up I'm trying together. to remember, because the main villain's called Tiger. I'm trying to remember whose casket he's got at the end. Is that... It's Michael. Oh, sorry. He digs up oh, yeah. Michael Wong's great um, casket. So there's 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 the classic police funeral scene. I mean, this all happens over about three days. A lot of shit goes down. In it's this like, how comically yes. evil can we make Tiger? The fact that he goes and dig, digs him up so that he can threaten to blow up Michael Wong's uh, casket. That that's right. So he he goes. They go to a quarry. And he's got the 
he's got the casket in an excavator's sort of claws hanging up and he's threatening to drop it and say ha ha that'll it'll be everywhere what he's done is he's told both michael it's both old sonata and michelle yo so he's shown michelle yo that he's got her the man apparently the love of her life who she couldn't fucking stand 20 minutes earlier he's going to desecrate his body but he tells sonata that um he's got a load of dynamite on the bottom of this digger and that he's going to blow up Michelle Yeoh. And it's like, I mean, all because they did his mate, who he's bonded with during a war, I don't know. The um, the reviews I read all said it all, oh, they were all mates from the Vietnam War, but I don't think yeah, the it's... Japanese people fought in the Vietnam War. I imagine it's the Korean War or it, something, but it doesn't really it's matter. It's hard to say because it seems to be like the same sort of conflict that we see in like Bullet in the Head and Heroes uh, Shed No Tears. Mm. That sort of uh, sort of generic conflict that we we sort of assume is, is Vietnam, but you're equally right, it could be the, be the Korean War for all we know. But if, we, if you cast your... Way mind way back to when we did um, was it the legend was it or the one with uh, the cursed watch? Oh, uh, uh, our point. No, not that one. Oh no! Oh, the cursed watch with um, the classic. Yes, when we uh, did the classic. Yes, and we had that amazing piece of research where we find out to see exactly who was involved in the Vietnam War. Um, so that would. It's always eye-opening to learn to learn something new about a conflict. So, but no, it is just basically you know generic war. There just happened that you had these four criminals who formed this blood oath back in the war, and this is why you got Tiger who's taking revenge for his fallen brothers. But he's also comically villainous and tries to attack Michelle Yeoh with a chainsaw at the end, which is also really cool. I, mean, I think there's just, every time we have a fight scene or an action scene in this film, it is just so well done. The fact that you've got Johnny Toad does second unit work on this film as well. Does yeah. he now? Ah, interesting. Okay. And you're just constantly surprised of how the film can just constantly escalate each action scene. Because we, as I said, we have some big action beats early on. We have the fight scene in the plane. We have the chase sequence and the uh, and the um, first building site fight. So we have these like big action sort of sequences. And then we get to the finale and we have Michelle Yeoh in an armored car basically taking out this mining town by driving it through it. Uh, it's just it's just a really phenomenal uh, sequence that the film builds up to. Uh, and what does the Hong Kong police force need that fucking armoured car for? And how does she manage to get access to it? I mean, I, I know it's all done on her, you know, her friendship with all the people. The people that she works with fucking adore her, don't they? It so. seems to be a running theme, though, when you look at <laughs> look at this, because it's the same in Yes, Madam. Um, they all seem to adore her and that as well, and people constantly wanting to give her flowers and celebrate her achievements and and things. So it's mm. when you look, think back to like you know Jackie Chan's uh, police story, nobody's thanking him. No, absolutely. No one gets him flowers, do they? <laughs> he's, he may be the super cop, but he's the burden of his department. Yeah. It's, a, it's and, amazing and, and, how someone can be both a klutz and the best cop on the force. 
and called Kevin, if I yes, remember that's right. Because <laughs> uh, Nita Marie plays May, wasn't it? So, the yeah, long-suffering girlfriend. Oh, no, it's Maggie Chung. Maggie Chung, Maggie sorry. Chung in Police Story, yes. And then Bridget Lynn turns up in Police Story. Oh, I think that's in Police Story as well, isn't it? That They're both there. <laughs> Um, but yes, he is called Kevin, which I do find hilarious. I try to remember this one involves someone being put for a glass table because that's what I've seen a lot of recently. It's just people like getting knocked back and going straight for a glass table. So it kind of made me want to put a list together with that. So I think in the I don't know if it's a nightclub or a it's restaurant. A nightclub. I always fit, but it's 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 not a nightclub like I think of a nightclub. It's sort of like a. Uh, both people sit down and talk to each other mm. nightclub rather than uh, one that people dance but I th- I'm pretty certain that happens in that sequence but I mean you're right there are just these I mean, I've said it earlier they're just these fantastic action sequences Maggie um, I've just called her Maggie um, Michelle Yeoh is just fantastic in this both with her action and just her charisma and I wasn't expecting it to be this good. I was expecting it to be, yeah, this is a decent 80s Hong Kong actioner. I'm actually really annoyed I haven't seen it before. It's all, it Since, hasn't really had the best releases. I've been seeing could be said for Yes, no. Madam. And it was all like, Yes, Madam in particular was doing this sort of like real sort of stand up martial arts film and would always get referenced, but at the same time be extremely hard to get hold of. I think Made in Hong Kong put out a VHS of it, but it wasn't one that um, I don't think Hong Kong Legends ever put out a release of it. And when you look back at Hong Kong Legends, all the films they put out like Iron Monkey, Prodigal Sun, the Jackie Chan movies, and quite a few of the summer hung ones like Closing Cows, Spooky Kind, and Magnificent Butcher, Eastern Condors. And Yes Madam seemed to just constantly slip through. So it's great mm. the fact Eureka have released this. Uh, they've released the first four uh, in the Light of Duty. Yeah, and they're really nice, yeah. cleaned up versions of the film as well. So yeah, They're all um, 2K restorations, yeah. So definitely worth... Um, and checking out and with and with some nice extras on as well um i, I mean a classic eureka do do nice releases and they usually do but i'm i was surprised they had had all four actually are quite packed and they, they haven't done a box set or if they have I'd, oh they have done a box set thing but i've just bought them separately and i was a little confused by it but i'm so looking forward to watching the others um, I don't know. I mean, I think you. I think we both know. Yes, madam's good. You've already talked yeah. about it. Yes, madam show. is really uh, well worth checking. I out. don't know if th- I don't know if three or four are really good. But if they're half as good as this, they're going to be very entertaining. This is this is one of. I'm not kidding. This is one of the favorite. We've done 124 episodes, right? <laughs> and this is. Of those 120 odd films we've done, this is in the top 10 films that we've watched. I really, I really, really enjoyed it. One of the Arnold Schwarzenegger projects I always wanted him to do, but he never did, was to do a Jack Slater movie. So if you watch Last Action Hero, he plays uh, the character Jack Slater. And I really wanted him to do a film that was set in the Jack Slater world. So it was sort of like that 
hyper action sort of sequence and sort of like all these sort of throwbacks. Because I always thought with Last Action Hero, it's great until they go back into the real world. When they're in the movie mm. world, that was the film that I wanted and I really wanted to, I just really wanted to see that. And with Royal Warriors, I would say it's the closest we've ever got to getting that wish fulfilled. Mm. Just obviously with Michelle Yeoh and like <laughs> 10 years earlier. No, yeah, it's um, it's great, and I'm really glad. So you know, like last year, I think we talked about in one of our sort of end of the year shows, you know, what was good, and I talked about all the Stephen um, Chow movies that came out over yeah, the West. Exactly. But I hadn't realised that these had come out as well, and um, to have nice releases. And you're right, there's a really dubious history of releases. Even not just their names, but the quality of releases. Um, even the Chinese releases weren't great. So, yay. Well done. And Eureka, feel free to sponsor us. We have no shame. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll turn from Amazon, We'll turn from Arrow to, to Eureka quite happily. This man does not speak for both of us. <laughs> I do. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, we'll, take, we'll take the money. So, anything else you want to bring up on this one? I, d- I don't think so. I think I've gushed about it. And to be honest with you, people stop listening to this and go and watch it. Yes. It is, as I said, it's randomly on Sky Movies at the moment. And I think um, I've heard subtitles that subtitles don't bite. They highlighted the fact that Sky Movies has snuck a bunch of great. Um, Asian movies on to the catalogue, but at the same time, they've removed the international section um, of the catalogue and replaced it with the LGBT section, which means that you have to then dig around to find these titles in there. But we have got films like Magnificent Warriors in there. We've got Mr. Vampire 1 and 2. We've got Dragons Forever. We've got Lassera for Chivalry. And we've got the Bruce Lee movies in there. And I really would love if they add in the Line of Duty 3 and 4 into there, because I said they got Yes, Madam, and they got Royal Warriors in there, but they haven't got 3 or 4. Um, so I'm... A little bit frustrated. I think if we all pressure on Sky Movies to keep adding on to like the Eureka releases and uh, and such. I mean, I just obviously talking about fantasies. I don't know even want to think of like the business side of this. So just in pure fan wish fulfillment, I would really love to see more Eureka releases, more of these boutique releases going onto uh, onto the service so that they can get the bigger audience. So. Or uh, obviously, because I know it was the moment we got Arrow Player, which uh, has films for Radiance, and they do a lot of uh, these sort of boutique, boutique releases as well. They've got deals with like Film Winter Films, and they show a lot of their films. And yeah, I'm um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But yes, well done. You're, you're forgiven for Enter the Void now. Yeah, you got that to the totally, It totally, it totally, it totally, um, oh, I don't, that show hasn't come out yet. Uh, but, figure it um, out. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's redressed the balance. And, and more. But our next episode is 125. And you know what that means. It's time for us to look at another benchmark title. And once again, we're going to be studying another trilogy of films as we're going to be looking at a film, a trilogy which has been. Highly requested, even though I would have thought they'd been sort of done by every other podcast out there, but 
we're happy to uh, give the people what they want. And the people have asked for the Vengeance Trilogy from Park Chan-wook. So we're going to be covering the whole of the Vengeance Trilogy on our next episode. We're also going to be adding another 50 titles to our ongoing list of essential Asian cinema as well. So uh, that will be also coming up as well. So make sure you look out for that. But in the meantime, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us. Leave us a review, especially on iTunes, as that really helps raise, uh, raise the profile of the show. And as I said, you can follow us on Facebook, we're on Freds, we're on Instagram. So come say hi to us there. And you can check out our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. We've just got our full archive of episodes. We've got the World Cinema Film Club on there as well. So plenty for you to uh, check out there as well. But until next time, though, thank you for listening. Thank you to my co-host, Stephen. Pleasure as always. And join us next time as we dive into the Ventures trilogy. And until then, good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.